Welcome, beautifuls, to Thriving Women Shine, the podcast, the co-host edition. My co-hosts are Delandria Jones and Tanya Wellmaker. We do have one more co-host that will be joining us on future episodes, but these are my girls that I'm rocking with today. Okay, ladies, tell the audience a little bit about yourself. Delandria. Okay, hi everyone. My name is Delandria Jones. I go by Delandria J. Um, I'm an entrepreneur. I have my own uh, truck driving school, and I contract myself out third party with truck driving companies. Um, and that's about it. All right, Tanya Wellmaker. Good afternoon, everyone. I am Tanya Wellmaker. I am um, a healthcare worker. Um, a former educator and a advocate servant for the Waymaker. Yes. All right. All right. Wonderful. So, listeners, our objective on this podcast is to pre- present our thoughts and our opinions on five topics. Our opinions are just that. It's our opinions, and it does not reflect the views of our employers or anyone that we may be affiliated with. So let's start this conversation. All right, ladies. So first up is Ahmad Arbery. If you don't know that name or have not heard that name before, this podcast, it is the name of the 25-year-old black man who was killed in Satya Shores, a quiet middle-class enclave about 15 minutes from downtown Brunswick, and a he was doing a short jog from his own neighborhood that he resided in. It has taken almost two months before the arrest of the murderers, father and son duo Gregory and Travis McMichael. And I really should be like, oh no, I can't believe that this has happened yet again, but I am like, Oh, no, not again. Co-host, please share your thoughts. Did you all see the video that was released in the 911 called um, Delandrio and Tanya? Did you all see the video and the 911 call? Okay, so actually, I cannot pull myself to actually watch the video, so I have read them. Um, a couple of stories on uh, Politico and CNN. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as as far as the crime uh, that was committed, um, it falls up under the hate crime. Mm-hmm. There's there's no way around it. The problem I have with it is that the DA, I think his name is Tom Durden, mm-hmm. he needs to recuse himself because he's he's part of that whole clique yeah. down in um, Brunswick. Yeah. What are your yeah. thoughts, Tanya? Okay, personally, because I have a um, African American son, my son is a little bit older than Duderry. I could not bring myself to watch that again. Um, another black man life being taken. Um, but however, I feel that Georgia is the good old boy state, yeah. and I'm from Georgia. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that this is anything new. However, with social media, this is, racism is still what it is in the 60s and 70s, especially in the rural areas of Georgia. Um, mm-hmm. 
murdered in cold blood mm-hmm. for no apparent reason. Now the question of justice, I, I, I digress on because there's no justice from taking an innocent life and there's no amount of justice that will restore that mother's heart. And I being a mother and being an advocate for black men, um, I don't see that any justification um, taking place that truly is deserved. But my hope in all of this situation is to bring awareness. Right. And also, um, on the level of faith, I, I hope that these men serve time and that they are repentant for the crimes that they committed. Right. I agree. Mm-hmm. I actually watched. I watched the um, the video, and I listened to the nine one one call. And I thought that how I would have been, like I would have had nightmares about it. And I think I have become so numb and so desensitized by seeing all of these hate crimes towards black men and black people um and it it is scary because i should not be i shouldn't have a numb feeling i should be feeling all of this should be evoking a whole bunch of different feelings for me because i have uh nephews who are african-american i have a husband who is african-american and i i honestly went to bed okay last night not a nightmare i i'm getting to the point where it's just like i can't believe that no i can't even say that i can't believe that i'm at the place where i'm just like wow they killed another um black person that's how that's where i'm at with it is that okay they killed another black person and it is so sad it is very very sad because when my husband leaves out when I don't see my nephews, I oftentimes think, is that the last time that I'm going to see them? And it's right. scary. I agree. But however, the feeling of numbness, I, I want to take you back to one of the African-American men that was on the corner. Eric Gardner yes. was the last person that I watched when they murdered a black man. And the words, I can't breathe, rang out mm-hmm. in my head for months, even after, you know, this man was killed in cold blood, was standing in front of a, a store selling yeah. cigarettes, which wasn't really necessarily committing a crime, but this man was not, you know, robbing the store. He was standing outside, still trying to make some sort of living for himself. Right. And... His life was taken. And I watched that video and I could not, you know, turn away. But however, social media and the things that they do to the African American men, mm-hmm. it comes it, 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 But however, it, it should evoke, and no judgment, but it should evoke a, a, a spirit in us of wanting to unite to, to not accept that this is the new norm. Exactly. Because when, when does it end? Everyone has, this is America, the land of the free. This country was built on our forefathers' blood, right. sweat, and tears. And 
and I've said it too, if you don't know that how these, um, the sheriff's office, the, um, the DA, all of these are positions that are brought forth by us voting. So when people say, oh, I'm not going to vote in the local election. Oh, I'm not going to vote for my house representative. I'm not going to vote for who is in the board of education. Then you are saying that how you basically don't care about what's happening within your own community because it's always those people how could this happen did you vote no i didn't vote this is how this happened this is how we got to this place so i completely agree with what both of you ladies are saying so with that note do you all think that these uh murderers will be convicted and true justice given to Ahmad's family because we know that how history has shown us time and time and time again that when we do seek justice the evidence could be staring the jurors right in the face we all see it the nation sees it and they're found not guilty what are your thoughts ladies Well, I'm, I'm in the middle of the room on this one. Um, I've seen a lot of people, celebrities, a lot of white people come out in support of, hey, this was uh, New Age lynching. So I'm not sure right now. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure. Oh, yeah. Um, I, I think history is going to repeat itself. I think that absolutely these men will get off. Uh, not even with a pep on the head. I believe that they will go and stand trial and that the jurors of their peers, which are their people, are going to set them free. Mm -hmm. I only think the reason why they was arrested was to testify, to stop them all out and out of what they thought was a civil war, might be a racial or civil war. Mm -hmm. And I really... Because that was a that it's going to repeat itself. They're only testifying because it should not have taken two months or however many months when the, 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 it was videotaped. Right. Like, it, it, it's like they're boldly saying to us what they said to our, our grandfathers and our, grand, our grandfather's fathers, our forefathers. The, the, the horrific words that they put, they might as well put across in our yards mm -hmm. right now. For every African-American person, just put another cross in our yard, but they're doing it on social media. It was bodaciously videotaped, not aiding or trying to help this young man. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you got to come off from behind the camera if you mean your intent was well-intended. You glorifying the racism, white supremacy. Mm -hmm. No one stopped to help this man. Right. Including the man who said that he was videoing because he thought that and released the video. Did y'all hear this? That he released the video because he thought it would help the McMichaels. And I'm yes. just thinking like, what? Like, where is your thought process? But on the thought of, um, do I think that there will be a conviction in my heart of hearts? I would like to believe that there will be a conviction 
but somewhere in the side, somewhere in the back of my mind as well, just says that how I don't necessarily see it, but really I am hoping that it is because it is, that there is a conviction because it is evident that this man was murdered in cold blood for all mm -hmm. of the world to see. Yeah. And with that, you know, I'm going, any last words? Do you have any last words on that, Delandra or um, Tanya, about that before we move on to our next topic? Lord, and I'll be watching it like you guys. I'll be watching this real closely, reaching out to some of my uh, state representative friends to see moving forward, can we put the uh, hate bill back on the ballot yeah. and get it passed through the state? Absolutely. Absolutely. Tanya, any um, last thoughts on this topic? Um, my heart goes out to the family of this uh, the victim of this senseless act of harm out to his mother and, and to his entire family and I, I think that you know and all what I would like to see is that you know we stand as a people not in a violent way mm -hmm. but just get out and vote right. and just make the change that we, we want to what we need to see let's be the change that we need to see for our for future generations Agreed. I definitely agree. I agree. So it's going to grant to the grand jury, grand jury. But then, if I'm not mistaken, that grand jury will not meet until sometime in June. So we shall see, ladies. And so moving on from there, on May first, Governor Brian Kemp lifted our statewide shelter-in-place order. Co-host, do you think we opened up way too early? And why I say that is because being a, a health care worker, um, at the time that the governor announced that um, he was reopening the state was prior to them mailing out the final check for the stimulus package. I think that it was more so um, a new age, and I, I don't want to sound negative, but I think it's a new age genocide. And they want of, of, of getting rid of the African Americans because there's truly more African Americans that are Being dying from the virus than any other race. Right. And going forward as a healthcare worker, we were preparing, meaning that our my employers were preparing to do a deployment of our of our uh, of my coworkers and myself preparing for a surge, mm -hmm. meaning that the virus had not reached its total peak and height. So and the extensive surge was supposed to take place on May 13th. Mm -hmm. 
barber shop and the nail shop. How would those things be beneficial to any other race? Mm-hmm. How would those things be beneficial? That that's a superficial um, business that you needs to, to be open. And your hair done, and rather than stay healthy, right. Exactly. And that spread this virus. So they targeted the African Americans, and also I think it was a ploy because they had to pay the small businesses a certain amount of money to pay their employees. Right. Oh, employees. I'm sorry. Right. So you know, it, uh, it was it was Governor Kemp was not concerned with this, the citizens of and the state of Georgia. And then he was more concerned with getting rid of the ones that are non-compliant and, you know, minimize the rate right. and cut the cost that of the financial bleed on the state funds. Right. And um, so, yes, I do think that how we definitely opened up way too early and when I heard that we were, um, the city and the state was um, removing that uh, statewide shelter in place, I thought of my coworkers who at that point had not seen their family since the end of, I think it was February. Um, because once we start, or, or I'm sorry, um, the beginning part of March, because once we started to see the surge in the, um, in the hospital that patients were actually coming in with, um, COVID and they, and we were testing them and some of these tests started to come back positive. That is when we came to the realization, not we, some of my coworkers at that point decided that they were not going to be going home um, anymore to their families because they wanted to protect them. And so I thought about, you know, Governor Kemp, were you thinking about those people and those families? And what a slap in their face to open up the city when we were at that point clearly not ready to open up the, uh, to open up the state. Um, he just wasn't thinking about them. And that was a huge problem to me because at that point there had already been parents who had not been home for six weeks to see their loved ones, to hug their loved ones. Um, we just, what, this week got it to the point where you can pretty much, as a healthcare professional, you can now go to get a free COVID testing. We just got that in place, like what? I think it's been days at the most. It could be a week or two. Um, we just got that in place. So how could you open up a city? Or how could you uh, take this um, shelter in place order and lift it when we weren't even fully, pre we weren't ever prepared from the jump? Yeah, well, well, not to cut in on you, but it mm -hmm. wasn't about being prepared. It was about his voters in the rural areas saying, hey, you need to open up these beaches. Um, I can't take it in the house no more. I need my workers, which is normally the minorities community, to come back in and work if you want me to give towards your election. That's how that thing works. It's not the benefit of, of, the, of the people. It's more of when you put these people in trust of 
offices, mm-hmm. you expect them to be out for your best interest. But overall, it's, it's all about the money. Yeah, it's about the economy. Unfortunately, you say, hey, a few people will die, and just like Will Maker said about uh, the community, the underlining is. Um, it's, it's a whole other genocide as far as minority population. Let me give you a few dollars. It's a it's a it's a chess move mm-hmm. to say if I I know if I give you this because you, you don't you haven't had that amount of money at one period of time. I know you're gonna go out there just like we seen the people over there at um, Greenbrier Mall getting Jordans. They wasn't practicing social distancing. They were about three hundred people out there. Right. Remember? Yep. So that's that's what they want to see, and that's what we always give. That's absolutely that's totally, true. True. I totally agree with you, Dee. That that's exactly the whole thing, and the stimulus package was not to boost the economy, not to help those that have lost jobs, that are are losing money. It was just a ploy to get us out to spend the money that you you know you give us this amount of money, and you know you're gonna get it right back in, in the areas, and plus it it, it didn't um wasn't considering that at the time that he opened up that the healthcare workers that we still weren't supplied with enough equipment right. to be safe. We had we still do not have enough hand sanitizer. We still do not have there's a shortage in masks to right today and today is May 9th. There is a shortage in hand sanitizer. There is a shortage in PPE because as, as our employers, we are covering our we are covering our bodies from head to toe, meaning we cover our hair. We cover we wear masks ten to twelve hours a day and we're not wearing N ninety five. We're not wearing the general surgical masks that are only good for forty five minutes and at some um healthcare organizations, they are telling you to wear a mask that will only protect you for 45 minutes. They're asking you to wear that for eight hours, five days a week before you switch. Which means that the healthcare workers are the sacrificial lambs, which if you talk to any healthcare worker, and Leslie, I know that I can for you as well mm-hmm. as a healthcare worker we're not putting ourselves on the front line for glorification mm-hmm. we're putting ourselves on the front line because we care about people right. we care to see them health, right. healthy we care that if they're sick that we can give them the proper treatment and keep by keeping ourselves clean and not transmitting diseases from one person to another right, right. we care it's not, it's the, we, uh, they are giving, some cities are giving the essential workers hazardous pay, but no one has offered the healthcare workers any hazardous pay and we're on the front line. Yes. It could be a cough in the face. It could be a needle stick. Right. It could be that you carry that virus in your hair or on your clothes. Hey, thriving listeners. 
Are you interested in purchasing a brand new home or even selling your current one? Contact the elite real estate broker, Kelsey Predestin of Predestin Properties at 770-807-9638 or visit them online at www.predestinproperties.com. And now back to our podcast. I know a lot of times people are asking, that is one of the biggest questions that I'm being asked, are you receiving hazard pay? And, um, you know, both Tanya and I are um, in the healthcare industry. We actually are in the front lines. I'm in the emergency department and she's also in the, and she's in the doctor's offices and she's seeing all of the patients that I'm seeing as well because typically they go to her first. And then they are rerouted um, to the emergency department if need be. But I know we're not receiving hazard pay. But then I hear different stores, restaurants, you know, and all of us are essential workers. And I think we all should be receiving that um, that pay. Um, But it is a little disheartening because... I am actually working on a COVID patient. I am the one that is, um, you know, if they stop breathing, I'm now the one that's pumping on their chest to keep them alive. And I'm not receiving any uh, any extra pay. And thankfully um, for me, I have mm-hmm. a wonderful husband who, you know, can take on any slack financially, um, within our household but i just it's the the principle of you know we're doing this extra work and there's been told of well you're not seeing as many patients as you used to see but it's the type of patient that we're seeing now and it is a whole different kind of work that you actually do for a patient that is a covid patient versus a patient who just fell and broke their arm because when you don that, you know, for in, in the hospital um, that I'm at, when we don that um, the N95 and that surgical mask and we put on that protective gear, the face shield, the whole, we do not leave out of that room sometimes for an hour and an hour and a half of working up that patient. Because you cannot leave out of that room because if you have left out of that room, that means you need to disrobe everything that you it took you 10, 15 minutes to put on and to go and do something. And we have to conserve the PPE because my greatest fear and it's what I always think about is will we have enough PPE for tomorrow or the next day or in two weeks when I go back to work? always that thought process so you want to conserve it and that's the big thing that we've been told is you know conserve 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 i do know that how i know for i work 12 hour shifts and a lot of times i wear one mask for the 12 hours that i'm there um i receive one n95 and even though i think my um healthcare system indicates that how well if you need an extra you can always pull one but the thought process is that you know we have to do everything conservatively and it's just 
sometimes I'm like, gosh, you know, I love what I do, but this is some of those days that you think about. Now, I signed up to do a lot of stuff, but this wasn't one of the things that I signed up for. And that's sometimes how I feel. It's tough to be essential in this, um, in this COVID season. I totally understand. Yes. Uh, you know, and, and, and let me, um, I just want to acknowledge that there are companies and organizations that are trying to um, show appreciation. Uh, McDonald's was giving us free meals. Uh, um, several uh, fast food restaurants are giving us uh, meals. Our employers are providing us yeah. with, you know, free meals, free lunches. We've had an import of Nike was offering free shoes for healthcare workers. Crocs gave um, free shoes for healthcare workers. Yes. And, you know, we don't want to just sound like that. We're ungrateful. We are very much grateful because shoes for any healthcare worker is essential because if you're standing on your feet yeah. all day long, you want the proper equipment for you to do your job and not distracted or, or by, you know, pain. Shoes are essential to every healthcare worker. Yeah. Uh, a meal with a thank you. We've had um, Jumba companies bring us smoothies, which are healthy. And, you know, there are places that are just really um, showing appreciation. Mm -hmm. I Sometimes I just, we're so naturally caught up in that's just our job, and, that, and it's more than a job for a healthcare worker. Right. That's a way of our life of taking care of patients. Even as we go out into public, I have to run into Walmart, and I'm still in, still with um, PPE. I, I, I don't wear gloves in public because that only spreads the virus. Right. But I still wear
what they are not saying, what the government is not, and I know he's aware, that there are people, healthcare workers, that get uh, infected with the COVID virus. We only get 80 hours to recover, mm-hmm. 80 work hours, which is two weeks. Mm-hmm. Or if you work a 12-hour shift, it's less than that. Yeah. And then you put it back out there, and the healthcare workers, I've talked to several healthcare workers that got COVID from working on the job. Right. And then got was out for two weeks and got reinfected. No one is talking about the reinfection of COVID. Oh, you, oh they just, people are getting um, infected with COVID. Nobody's talking about it. You can get it more than once. The more you come, come across it, it makes you immunocompromised. Mm-hmm. Then that gives you, that turns you from immunoefficient to immunoineffective, which means it breaks down your immune system. Each time your body has to fight off such a harsh virus that has passed the most critical organ in your body, which is your respiratory tract. Right. That's true. That's you know, true. those are the conversations that he needs, the, the, the governor needs to hear. Like, who are you talking to? Have you asked the people on the front line? These are the people that stand in the gap that stop, that stand between you and a virus. And your loved one that we are here to treat and and it's not about gratification. We do this because we love, but we are not just healthcare workers. When someone is dying of a coronavirus, all they have is that healthcare worker. worker. The healthcare worker turns into their spiritual counselor, their friend, their loved Mm -hmm. one. Yeah. And then what about the residue? that comes behind once this pandemic is done. Yeah. There has to be free counseling for the healthcare workers, especially the ones in the quarantine unit. Yeah. I definitely agree because I just, I, I often, when I do come home, um, there are times where I am showering, well, showering, um, and I'm crying. I'm crying because sometimes it's hard to be able to release what you're feeling to your family because unless you're actually out here and you're fighting this great fight in the hospital setting, in the doctor's um, office setting, you just, I can tell you, oh, you know, I feel, I feel depressed. I lost a patient, you know, I'm hurting, but until you actually feel and you're doing this day in and day out it is hard for someone to really understand they might um be able to um sympathize with you but they can't there's not the empathy factor because they've never felt this they've never had to work in that kind of environment so i definitely i agree and it's just counseling is needed and I've often thought to myself why counselors are not on site already in the hospital setting even if it was a number hey you can call but there's somebody you know in the building that you could speak to um in regards to this um because we have losses some days we have good days where um six people are being released from the hospital you know that are COVID free and in that same moment you've released six people sometimes you have two that have passed away you know and there's nothing that you could do 
nothing you could do and they die literally yes they're on a um on that um table but it's literally as if they are in your arms and you know no one other than someone experiencing that with you can definitely feel what you're feeling um and on that note i definitely do want to say because one thing that has happened you know and tanya hit very you know hit on this is that we are getting mm -hmm. support from the community in regards to providing lunches and shoes i've been able to you know i usually wear slides to work because i don't wear what i what i work in in the um in my house or um in my car they stay in my trunk so i do want to say um thank you to crocs because i did was able to receive um a free pair of crocs and you know zaxby's has been another one i know tanya mentioned Wellmaker. Kill Me Crazy has been another company that has um, reached out and given to us. A lot of the churches in the areas have um, donated a lot. Um, Pasta Bella um, and the Marietta Restaurant Group um, provided for us. So we are so very appreciative. You know, I wish that how we could be able to completely and all the time say how grateful we are. But I agree with you. The government should have to step in somewhere in regards to protecting their healthcare staff. We are being overworked, um, yeah. I won't lie, um, because it's the quality of the patient that is coming through. It's a different type of patient. Like I said, this isn't your normal just, oh, I have a headache um, in the emergency department. These are people with cough, cold, congestion, shortness of breath, chest pain, the whole nine. So the work that you're putting into these kinds of patients is different than someone who is just there with a headache. And I know that how we we are working um, oftentimes with skeleton crews, um, you know, one person taking care of or trying to take care of several people and we're getting to the point of being burnt out. We're burnt out, we're tired. Um, you know, and whether that is you working a three 12 hour shift or you're working five, eight or nine hour days, we're exhausted. We're, we're exhausted, but we still keep coming. We still keep fighting the fight, but we, but we are, and I can only imagine the longer this COVID season continues to go forth because next thing we're, we're going to add in the flu patients later in the fall. Um, you know, just, it's, a, at times it's disheartening, um, but I love what I do. I know Tanya loves what she does, or we would probably, we have other means of being able to provide for ourselves, um, but we stay in this fight because we love what we do. We love what we do. Hey, Thriving listeners, are you enjoying this podcast? Take a moment to subscribe, like, and rate this episode. And now back to the show. Um, I also want to shed um, a little bit of light on another group of essential um, employees, which are our truck drivers. They're delivering goods um, to the stores, to the hospitals, to the labs. Um, so as I was watching on the news the other day, I saw some of the challenges that were plaguing our driving heroes. It stated that the drivers are not able to stay in their trucks 
here lately while it is being loaded. So they're forced out of their truck to sit outside waiting for their, um, for their loads. And sometimes they're waiting in a makeshift cage-like area for hours at a time. Um, another issue that they were posing was the fact that restaurants um, that have dining areas are closed temporarily and there's nowhere for them to get food because they cannot take their truck through the drive-through. Um, there were some issues with not having enough protective gear for some of the drivers and they're needing masks to just enter the property to get their loads. And um, another one was even being able to um, go to the bathroom. It's getting harder and harder unless you're at a truck stop to be able to get to a bathroom. So Dee, as a driving instructor, a commercial driver instructor, what are your thoughts on this issue and what do you think um, needs to be done to help our drivers out? Because they're just as essential as we are. We need them to get these loads you know, to the stores, to the hospitals. Exactly. Um, I, I I totally understand the the places that we're delivering to as far as want to be safe. But I've experienced not being able to go to the restroom. Mm -hmm. I've been in one of those cages, and I I did not like it because I was sitting there with a couple more drivers, and being in the cage, you cannot be six feet apart from one another. Mm -hmm. uh, provided that I was able to get the N95, so I do you know, presence, you know, being safe. But I feel like um, we have to come up with another uh, solution. Um, wow. Even even when it um, comes to, you know, a buddy of mine's, you know, now having her pay was being able to back up to the dock and go in the dock and take that specific pallet off. Mm -hmm. And without being able to do that, that takes out, um, I'd say... 30% of her, her check for the week. Um, I wish that we still had shelter in place and we streamlined uh, these places that we deliver to, mm -hmm. but I feel like it's the company's responsibility to have us uh, a place to use the bathroom, wash your hands, mm -hmm. you know, and, you know, not necessarily sit in those cages. I, I don't like it, uh, you know, because as you guys are weary when you go go to work, I am too being around this guy. You know, I don't know where they're coming from. Right. Um. Um. As far as the experience with, you know, trying to get to a restaurant, that is true because it's not going to happen. Right. And from the majority of the truck stops, you either go have Subway, <laughs> or you gonna have whatever they've been frying and that grease that's been sitting in there for the last right. month, <laughs> or or you're gonna have Arby's, which I don't really neither one of them, but, mm -hmm. you know, you're, you're, you really don't have a choice. And every blue moon, you make making find a cracker bear. I will let truck drivers know if you find a cracker bear, mm -hmm. they're more than happy to let you in their, their um, parking lot and assist you with whatever you need and give you a discount. That's good. That's really, really good. Because I know as being a wife of a trucker, I hear, you know, these stories and the fact of not even having a area like a break room per se to say, you know, this is where we're going to house, you know, or allow our, um, you know, our visiting truckers to come in to be able to, you know, wash their hands at least maybe, 
um, even watch some TV, some news, you know, and as long as they're practicing social distancing, that it should be fine. And they have someone going, you know, behind them to sanitize after everyone has left is appalling to me. Putting somebody in a cage, oh my gosh. And I'm just like the thought process of making someone feel like they're not human um, to me is just unbelievable. And these are essential. They're just as much as a frontline um, hero as the healthcare professional because without the drivers bringing the healthcare supplies or supplying us with um, toilet paper and paper towel and soap on the um, on the shelves of stores, we're just about done. So I'm not really sure what, why there's such a disparity. No, I shouldn't say that I'm, why am I surprised? If healthcare hasn't gotten it, I'm pretty sure that um, no one else at this point has gotten it um, very well as well. So I'm not surprised that the truckers are also experiencing that. Um, Tanya, do you have any um, final words in regards to um, some of the things that you're hearing that the drivers are dealing with? I, you know, I'm just standing and listening. I agree with you that the um, the drivers are very important because they are driving, bringing supplies, even medical supplies in from, you know, the the, the um shipment yards where they're bringing out supplies in by via trains and mm-hmm. and planes or wherever they're coming from, and it's disheartening that they are being treated like um second-class citizens because they're vital to our survival mm-hmm. when it comes to health care. We, you know, are always thankful to even the local drivers like UPS and FedEx. We're always grateful and, and look forward to seeing them because we need them. Right. And, you know, I think that someone needs to come up in these organizations. If you're going to restrict them, then you... You need to come up with an alternate plan, create a makeshift lounge, not a, not a cage, and, you know, provide, you know, somewhere for them to, you know, refresh themselves and relieve themselves, you mm-hmm. know, because we need them. 
Lord. And every is always a silver lining and a cloud. I always believe that the glass is half full, not half empty. Mm-hmm. So there are some things that are protocols that are going to be put in place. There are some some shelters that are going to be put in put in place and storage and and, and even some um, layout and and, uh, and receiving and shipping is going to change. Right. But one thing I pray that. This is not our norm. And I hope to God that I pray every morning that wearing masks and protection and being um, distancing from each other is not going to be our new norm. Right. Absolutely. Because I'm a hugger. Mm-hmm. I love to hug. Um, and I just love right. and enjoy having family <laughs> around me. So this is like completely different mode Um in this season um, of our lives right now. And, you know, to definitely end on a lighter note, talking about new norms, co-host, what does your new normal look like and how are you adapting to it? So my new, oh, go I'm sorry. Um, my new norm is um it's funny because I never thought that I would be coming entering my house from the back way so that I could be near the laundry room so I could completely disrobe um and put all of my um uh work clothes into um into the washer um so that it can be washed and not hugging my kids when I get off of work Um, It usually is probably like 30, 45 minutes before, after I've entered into the house, before I ever even give them a hug and a kiss and talk to them and what have you, because my focus is always about making sure that I'm not bringing anything um, that might expose them um, to anything that I've um, been privy of at the hospital. So... That has definitely been a part of the new norm. I hope it's not um, in the long run, but that has become a, a huge new norm um, for me in in our household. And another thing, though, is having all of this uh, downtime to be able to do things. So I have been able to get my doula certification um, and work on that. Um, so, you know, using this time to being able to educate myself to advance. So when we do finally, um, get to a point where we are able to function and do things, um, more that resembles more what our life used to be. I'm not going to say we're going completely back to that old way, but something a little bit closer to that, you know, I'm super excited to really get that underway so that is what my um new norm has been looking like for me and I think that I've been adapting to it I think it's easier to adapt because I still have a lot of contact with the outside world through the work that I do and that being a healthcare profession so I still have to get up to go to work um that hasn't changed so that's why I don't think my new norm looks as um looks like some other people's new norms because they are not getting to go back to work. They are not, um, you know, having an income. They are trying to figure out, 
you know, where their next meals might be coming. But my new norm does not, um, not look so different than what it was before. So my new norm is, um, I, well, I, I get up and leave out just like you, but I have to catch myself. Um, if I go into a truck stop and I see somebody sneeze or the nose is running, I'm quick to run the other way. That's not a good thing, but I guess <laughs> what well, my, my head space is. Or right. um, if, I, if, I, if I come home and I'm not thinking, you know, I'm used to saying, hey, let's, let's meet up. Mm-hmm. You know, whatever. And now I realize that me being on the road, being in the truck by myself, I still come home and I'm still to myself. So I had to find something to challenge all that, that headspace. Mm-hmm. So um, I guess my new norm now is, uh, you know, I'm still aware when I go in the truck stop. But now when I come home, I try to do virtual teaching with, you know, CDL uh, students mm-hmm. or I'll try to, you know, work on my book. Yeah. So, um, I I hope that, you know, things change. I yeah. don't I don't know what the new norm's gonna look like like you, but uh, I kinda miss that, that human interaction. I know, agree. So. And I'm still writing the foreword in your book. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I know. <laughs> Tanya, what's your new norm look like? My new norm is communication. Mm-hmm. Um, I do what you do. I take off my clothes um, before I um, um, interact with my family. But my new norm is where I was not communicating so much with my family. Mm-hmm. I think that my new norm is communication. I call everybody and, you know, I've added group texts and checking in with everybody. Um, I am the liaison for my family, so I update my family. Well, I'm the medical consultant, mm-hmm. so I have everybody on elderberry, um, vitamin C, uh, wearing masks, and, you know, trying to figure out ways of creating our own hand sanitizer, mm. making sure that everybody has, you know, what they need to stay healthy and safe. Um, I am now communicating and hosting church um, three days a week through teleconferencing. Um, I am back in school getting um, degrees, um, finishing up. I have four more classes before I earn my bachelor's degree in healthcare management. I already have my healthcare administration done. So I I communicate, and even so now I have my co-workers, I communicate and express on a whole nother level mm-hmm. um, instead of showing people that I love them, I tell them. Mm-hmm. Like I have said, I love you to my coworkers, my doctors, not knowing um, what tomorrow may bring. I always, I am carpe diem, I seize the day, I seize the opportunity, you know, to just communicate and say I love you and, and whatever it is that I need to say because I realize now that in some people's world tomorrow is not promised. I don't know who's going to be here tomorrow. So um, that's my, my new norm. I, I'm, I'm, I'm a communicator. I'm a consultant. I, I listen. I reach out more to people in my family that I 
usually talk to mm-hmm. because of different things. I find myself communicating, saying, hey, hi, you okay? You know, and that is my new norm. So I'm looking at the, the positives of, of, um, of what this is bringing about. It's drawing my family closer. It is creating a space where it's okay to say the good things. Mm-hmm. You know, and just uplifting each other and listening. So that's my new norm. And I don't think um, after the pandemic is over that my new normal change. It has just opened me up to a vessel that I didn't even know that I could be. I am. I'm super proud of you, and I'm. Um, and I'm not surprised that you are. Um, about to be complete and done with another degree. Um, you're, both of you ladies are amazing ladies and amazing at what you all do and your continued growth because somebody else would be like, oh, I can't do this, I can't do this, I can't do that and not um, figure out another way to make a new norm work for them. And you both um, are doing it beautifully so i'm super super proud of both of you um so so we at thriving women shine want to leave you with some encouragement and motivation to end this podcast so here are our words to motivate you um what i want to share is a quote with uh, by C.S. Lewis. It's one of my favorite quotes. Hardships often prepare ordinary people for an extraordinary destiny. Um, and I'm leaving that with you because I know that right now for some, um, I think for all of us in some way, shape, or form, whether it's through work, whether it's at the fact that you're out of work, whether it is that you're now at home, what have you, and you may be considering this as a hardship for you and your family. But I have to believe that this is preparing us to be our best self. And we're just destined for greatness. So use your time wisely because just as quickly as this snuck up on us and has taken over most of our lives, I really believe that we will go back to some kind of new norm. And I want you to be ready for that, whether that is you using this time to work on a business, going to school, um, working on your degree, um, working on your credit, um, purchasing a new home, whatever that is, that you know, you continue to use this time wisely so that how when we do get to our new norm, that you will be living the best life that you envisioned for yourself and that you were destined to live. Uh, my quote is coming from uh, Fanny Liliana. Uh, it says, never to forget where we came from and always praise the bridges that carried us over. Mm. And that is in reference to what's going on as far as 
uh, what happened to Ahmad. Mm-hmm. You know, my heart and my condolences goes out to his family. And as far as this pandemic that we're going through right now. And no matter how bad the situation gets, no matter how dark it gets, there's always light at the end of that tunnel. And I truly believe that it is light at the end of that tunnel. Mm-hmm. We all have to go through something. And right now, that's, that's where we're at. Heartaches and pains mm-hmm. in this pandemic. Yeah. Um, I feel like um, we. I know without a shadow of doubt that I feel through faith, and we're going to get through this. And I'm just going to leave it like that because we are going to get through it. Yes, I agree. Well, okay, well, you know me. I am a messenger, and I will be the vessel that he's called me to be. So my um, quote is coming from Jeremiah 29, 11 through uh, 15, 14. And it says, For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, said the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. Then ye shall call upon me, and ye shall go and pray unto me, and I will hearken unto you. Mm-hmm. And ye shall seek me, and find me. And when you search for me with all your heart, and I will be found of you, says the Lord. And I will turn away your captivity, and I will gather you from all the nations, and from all the places whither I have driven you, said the Lord. And I will bring you again to the place which I have caused you to be carried away captive. And that's God's promise that mm-hmm. he knows the plan, that he shall bring us back as soon as we turn to him, that he shall answer us in this pandemic. I truly believe the word of God because the word of God is true. I just think that Right now, in the state that it is, God is omniscient. Nothing catches him by surprise. Right. But I think that to end this pandemic, to end the troubles of the Lord, we must turn back to our first love, which is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And I will leave it right there. Mm. And I wish everyone to be blessed, to be healthy, to not be stressed, and to continually pray for me as I pray for you in this world. Yes, I accept all of that. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for joining us today on this podcast with the co-host. I am Leslie Joy. I am the land J. I am Tanya Wellmaker, the worker of the Waymaker. All right. Until we meet again, blessings to you and your family.